Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me today is Lisa Shermerhorn, who is a Vermonter and a first-time author. The title of the book is With Every Belief There is a Lie, and it has become an Amazon bestseller. First time. Awesome. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. I really appreciate being here. Well, no problem. It's great to have you. You have written an amazing book. And I wanted to ask our listeners, so can you imagine you open a book only to be asked this question, what would you do if you discovered that most of what you believe about yourself is a lie? So, Lisa, um, you follow that question in the book with this statement, discover how to identify and release your lies and uncover your undisputed truth. Could you expand on that? (laughs) loaded question right (laughs) exactly I'm not answering just for the record (laughs) Um, so so just to give you a little bit of background um, I I am a a certified hypnotherapist and a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming NLP and what that means is that I've actually studied the unconscious mind which is our belief systems that are running us unconsciously. In my research, what I discovered, and this happened because I had my own journey. So so how I got into this is that I was depressed. Um, I was suicidal. And um, I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't understand why people would actually want to be around me. Because as a child, I had undiagnosed un, uh, learning disabilities. And I barely got through school. I didn't think I was very smart, and I didn't think I had anything to offer. So when I went through that period of time where I was um, suicidal, I was going from therapist to therapist to therapist, and no one was helping me. Sometimes I was going two to three times a week. And someone suggested a hypnotist, and I thought to myself, (laughs) <laughs> don't they make you quack like a duck? Like, I couldn't wrap my brain around that. Um, I just had this image of these people on stage making people do silly things. What I discovered was that was the furthest thing from the truth of what this type of hypnosis this woman did. So when you, when you, your higher self has the answers to everything. It's just that we have this ego, this part of us, this younger part, these other parts of us that are programmed. And what I mean by that is from the time we're very young, when we're actually born, we are programmed. We're programmed by our parents, their belief systems, the religion that you're raised in, your culture that you're raised in, the area that you grew up in, whether the Northeast or the South or the West or somewhere overseas those belief systems become a part of you. So how do you distinguish between what is yours and what belongs to someone else? So I had taken on the lie that I wasn't smart. So when I walked around the world with the lens of not being smart, that's how I interacted in the world. 
when I released that belief system and realized that I just learned differently, then I realized that I actually am smart and that I did have something to offer, and it changed the way I see the world. And that started to become my truth, and that was something that I could own. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's really amazing what you've done in this book, and I... um I wanted you've talked about your background, and I just wanted to ask, what does, how does hypnosis play a part in your diagnosis or in your trying to help people? Because I'm back with the chicken on the stage. <laughs> exactly. So, so what I do? So, first of all, I want to demystify what hypnosis is. So, for those of your, for your listeners, have you ever driven on the highway and missed your exit? Yes. You know, you get into that state where you're daydreaming. That's all hypnosis is. So when I work with someone, I'm actually relaxing them. All I'm doing is something where I, I, I relax you from your head to your toes. That's it. So you go into this daydream state, which is a brain frequency called alpha. We have five major brain frequencies that we go in and out of. The first one when we're born is delta, and it's a wide wave. And if you think about what a newborn baby has to learn, it is extraordinary. If you really thought about it, sight, sound, taste, emotions, you know, your your um, mobility, um, gross motor skills, yeah, all and and. Um, it's just amazing. And then when you get into elementary school, you're in something called theta, which is a state of imagination. That's why it's such an amazing thing when you watch children run around and a stick is a gun or a stick is a, you know, a horse between their legs and running around and that, that, that constant state of play and imagination. The next state is alpha, and that is a deep learning state. So when we are in that deep learning state, that's when we access our true belief systems, um, our unconscious, our programming is. When we're in beta, which is the state that we're talking in right now, which is a very small wave, that is our ego. And our ego mind, which we all need, but our ego mind is where the programming is, and it is here to protect us. So when we have this ego that um, uh, it overrides, how many times do you get that gut instinct or that belief inside and then we override it because our brain is like, that doesn't make sense, and then you go back and you go, gosh, I wish I, wish I had listened. So it's like we have that, that voice inside of us which speaks the truth. And then, you know, I mentioned we have five major brain frequencies. There's gamma, which is where the Tibetan monks are, and we don't, we don't, we have access to it, but not, um, not on a regular basis. <laughs> so, so when I get back to, you know, the unconscious mind and hypnosis, when I work with someone, I'm just asking your subconscious mind to go into the state. We're going to alpha. And we're talking to you, and you're in control at every level. And what's amazing is people will say to me when I'm speaking to them, I don't remember much of my childhood. But then when, when they go into the state of alpha, I'll ask their unconscious mind, 
please take me to the root cause of why I'm eat, why you're eating ice cream at nine o'clock at night, and then boom, I'm at three years old where they weren't getting the the nurturing and the attention, so ice cream and food and sugar became love, or this you know a certain incident or someone said you know you'll never amount to anything, and suddenly that became the truth, and so. We don't always have access to that information. We just end up in hamster wheel going around this hamster wheel, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's really fascinating. You know what? I should come talk to you. My worst fear is, and they're starting to advertise this on television, that there is this anger Alzheimer's that you can get that you just are angry and you spill out all of these truths that you have squished down all these years because you know it's not appropriate to say it. That is, it's like every time I see the ad, I said to my husband, that's it, that's going to be me. I said, so prepare yourself. <laughs> True. Well, get I, it out I, of the way now. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. If I dumped it all now, I would be kind in, in my Alzheimer's years, right? One would hope. Well, you're, you're you know, first of all, you know, we're, we're making assumptions that Alzheimer's and dementia and all of those things are given. So well, that's we, true. We, what I like to do is take those things out of our mind because we, we actually manifest things. So when you think about something that I don't want something, you're actually calling it in. I don't want dementia, but the universe hmm. doesn't know the negative. So what you're doing is you're calling in dementia. So I would say, you know, call in what you want, which are years of significant, you know, strong mental health and and um, and memory. Hmm. That that's really interesting. I wanted to share with our listeners. Um, I think it's um, it's a write up of the book that uh, there were examples of the lies, and I think if we shared that, that people would understand what we're talking about. There's uh, five of them that you are not smart. How many of us have heard that growing up? That money is the root of all evil. That when you forgive, your actions are absolved. And this one I would love you to explain further. The lie that you can solve your problems by using the same thinking you had when you created them. And um, I can relate to the first one. I actually, somewhere in my notes said, you must have talked to mom and dad when they were alive. Um, (laughs) Because uh, the ones in Chapter 3, I think you wrote it for me, but thank you. Um, So... I think a lot of us can relate to um, many many of the things I just read, but what does that mean about solve your problems by using the same thinking? So, so when you're stuck in an issue and you have a, a part of you that's running you, so I'm going to go back to the example that, let's say, food is love, because that younger version of you, let's say this part of you that, your, your parents were very, very busy working two jobs to put food on the table. That didn't mean that they didn't love you. That meant that they were so busy trying to um, support the household and take care of your physical needs that maybe your emotional needs didn't get met. Now, as a young child, you don't have the ability to understand that. So this part of you then comes in and says, oh, um, I'm not getting the needs that I need to have met, so I'm going to come up with something 
that's going to meet my needs. Now, the way an adult thinks is very different than the way a child thinks. So that that younger version, let's say the five-year-old says, ice cream makes me feel so good. And popcorn and all of these, you know, foods that may not necessarily be good for you, but they give me that warm, fuzzy feeling. So that part of me is now saying every time I don't feel well or every time I'm sad, this part of me is now going into the freezer, pulling out a pint of ice cream, and before I know it, it's gone. So this part of me that's not rational, that's five years old, and that five-year-old makes our um, decisions on picking our partners, we'll make our financial decisions, we'll make the decisions on what job we want, Um, And think about this. There are politicians that have their five-year-old or their 10-year-old that are running the world um, unconsciously. So we have these parts of us that are running us. How do we we get out of that unless we're communicating with that younger part of us? So what I do is I take us, I ask our unconscious mind to take us to the part that's running that decision. And then we talk to that part and get it up to speed. That part needs to be acknowledged. Oh, my goodness, Um, you know, please tell me why you are making these decisions, these eating decisions, because I I don't feel loved. Well, what, how would you like a new job? How about we come up with something else that's healthier? Would would you like that? Yes. And most of the time, these parts are exhausted. They don't want to be eating anymore. They're tired of that. And they know it's not working. They just don't know anything else. So then we talk to that part and say, okay, would you be in charge of eating healthy? What are some healthy things that you like to eat? Oh, I, I like, you know, salads. Salads are really delicious. Or I like this or I like that. And I like to exercise and I like to play outside and run. I like to ride my bicycle. So we'll ask that part to be in charge of the healthier belief systems, the healthier behavior, sorry. And so now that part has a new job, and now it's working with you, not against you. Because when it's working against you, it's exhausting you. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. Lisa, you, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you structured your book, because I thought it was interesting. In each chapter, you talk about a lie, which we went over some of them. In some, you provide exercises which to do, which... Um, you can do all by yourself, um, and then the, in others, you rely more about telling a story to illustrate your message. What what determines um, exercise or story? Um, I don't know that I was actually methodical about that. Um, I wish I could say that I was much more. <laughs> oh, come on, yeah, I, I'm much more about feel. But I'll tell you what inspired me. There's a woman who's since passed. Her name is Debbie Ford. And she's written quite a few books. And the first book of hers that I read, The Dark Side of Light Chasers, which was about our shadow and how we have our dark side and our light side. We have the parts of us that, you know, it's like the the devil, you know, we have the devil and the angel, you know, on the shoulders when you think about, you know, that. So most of us will suppress that darker side and just, pretend that we're only light, even though, you know, let's say something bad happened to us or, or anything, it's still part of us. doesn't mean we're going to act on it, 
but we still have that darker shadow part of us. And so I remember in her book, she formatted it like this, where she had exercises at the end of the book. <clears throat> and there was one exercise that I did that was so impactful. And I think I read her book 15 years ago, and I've still not forgotten the exercise. Because I'm an experiential learner. And so what I know with something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is the study of excellence, that people learn differently. And so for me, I'm not the kind of person that can memorize information and then recall it and, and take a test. I'm experiential. So I tried to put different ways of learning the book for people who learn differently like I do. So one of the things that I've also learned is the greatest impact that you can have on people is how you leave them feeling, how you make people feel. And story is the greatest way you can impact people. Because when you tell a story, there's emotion in it that also helps people remember. So by combining these different ways of learning within the book, doing the exercises, so it's one thing to learn it and it's intellectualized in your brain. It's another thing to know it at a deeper level and live it and embody it. So by doing the exercises, it helps you embody it and learn it at a deeper level. Wow, that's that's really something to think about. And I um, I did the exercise. I think I mentioned that Chapter 3 was, I think you wrote it for me. Um, and you talked to my mom and dad at some point um, because I actually laughed out loud when I read it because I went, good grief. Um, and I'm sure I am not alone. I've always found that whatever I say, there's a few other people out there thinking the same thing. I just wanted to share with you one very sad story. Um, when I worked in uh, Ardsley, New York, I, I was working with this very heavy set woman who had the most beautiful face you would ever want to see. And um, we shared an office, and I, I don't know, we got started talking about weight, which is was very interesting since she was quite overweight and she was comfortable with it and she said to me and I'll never forget this and it that I go to food because it's always there and I can count on it and I thought whoa um that was very interesting that she even understood that and um it stuck with me for a long time like why am am I eating so much well, you know what? I, I love that because she has awareness around it, right? right. Because there's, there's two kinds of people when I work, when I go to work with someone. And when someone, there, there's the person who is unaware of their issues. Then there's the person that's aware of it. Now, when they're aware of it, they can choose to do something about it. For instance, that woman has a belief that food is the only thing that will ever be there for her. So she chooses to live with that and live her life that way, and she and that's her belief system. Now, if you go back to when every belief is a lie, is that really true, or is it just the way that she sees the world? Because if she sees the world that way, that's how she creates it. So imagine that you are a giant magnet, and your belief system attracts all of the things that you believe. So if you believe that food is the only thing that you can count on, guess what kind of people you start to attract? 
only people who you can't rely on, and therefore it reinforces the belief that she only has food to rely on. What I do with people in that situation, but they have to be, they have to really want it because what I do is just a tool. So now I'm talking to this person and now we're going to the root cause because that is her five-year-old, her two-year-old or her 10-year-old, whatever age it is, that's running those decisions that she has made. So that younger version has to be willing to say, oh, I'm actually harming myself by being this large and I could actually die early because, or, get, or have diabetes and have a, a difficult or, or a poor quality of life versus doing the work, allowing myself to be vulnerable and connecting with people and realizing that food isn't what it's cracked up to be. Yeah, it was. I didn't quite know how to answer that question or that statement when she said it, and um, and she she decided if she ate healthy, even though you know a pound of anything will put weight on, um, that she that she was actually making herself healthy because she didn't eat fried foods and all the stuff we're not supposed to eat, which we do. Um, and I just thought, well, well, there you go. What what can I say to that? But um, I think what you're saying, and especially who you attract if you have that mindset. That's a very important thing. Right, and that that is a perfect, yeah, it's a perfect example of trying to solve a problem with the same thinking you had when you created it. That's the perfect example of it. So at some point point in her life, she may get tired of that and may want to change, and she may not. And this is where people have to understand it's not my job to, you know, to, to make sure that that person eats healthy or do it. It's their lesson. It's their, it's their journey. And I'm there to support someone if they want to make those changes. But if they choose not to, then I, I have to step back. And I've worked with people because when they come to me and they say, you know, I want to quit smoking or I want to lose weight or I have issues with anger or whatever it is. And then I'm like, are you coming in for you or are you coming in because someone else told you you needed to do that? Right. Because when someone comes in because they're told to do it, then um, I generally won't work with them because they're not invested. Yep. Interesting. That's Oh, I keep thinking of all these questions. Do you, in, in much of hypnosis, when you come out of it or whatever, the expression is, um, do you remember or do you have to tell the person to remember what they just said? No, they remember and they're completely awake. Do you remember daydreaming? Uh, Yes, all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing. I always say the people I work with are in charge of the entire thing. And here's the really cool part. So let's say someone had something happen when they were younger and they don't want to talk about it. They don't have to because the way I do it is that these memories are stored at a cellular level and they leave either a thought like it's a strong thought or it's a feeling in the body. And so I have techniques where we can say, where do you, where I say, where do you feel that feeling of, you know, sadness of not being um, nurtured as a child? Oh, it's in my heart. From zero to 10, how strong is that? Oh, it's about an eight or a nine. So I help people release that 
And once they release it, then I say, what do you wish you could have felt instead? And we replace it. So I call it time travel for your emotions. We hold on to emotions in our physical body as well as our thoughts. So in the work that I do is I can take someone back to a memory, but they don't have to talk about it if they don't want to. I'm looking for the feeling. And and I call it time travel for your emotions. And I posted a blog one day calling time travel for your emotions, and someone called me and asked if they were actually could time travel to another time. <laughs> But no, we're not actually, we can't change what happened, but we can change what we, how we think about it. So we go back and, and again, as I described, we go back to that memory, release it. And, and here's another thing, um, forgiveness. Forgiveness yeah. is one of the key issues, not only forgiving others, but forgiving ourselves. So you can release it and then replace it with what you wish you could have had. But if someone had harmed you, um, or, or you did something to someone else that you feel shame about. You want to release it, but it's also important to forgive yourself. Yep. Just, Lisa, we have a caller. Uh, Dave from Montpelier. Dave, you're on the air with Lisa. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, um, I was wondering, I heard your guest mention something about um, memories stored at the cellular level and, and some technique for unlocking them or whatever. Could you ever explain the, the medical scientific process by which memories get stored at the cellular level? I'll, oh. I'll hang up and take the answer off. Thanks, Thanks. Dave. Appreciate it. Uh, well, if you talk, uh, if you if you listen to Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza, they can go more into the science of it. Um, I can just talk to the trainings that I have done. Uh, and when you talk about how you go back to those memories, um, something I use is called the Sedona method or the emotional release method. There's also another uh, technique that people use called the emotional freedom technique or EFT, which is tapping along the, the meridians. But there's so many other techniques. And, and what, I, what I'm asking people to do is go back to that memory. We rate it from zero to 10, 10 being the highest, and then you're just going into the feeling and releasing it. Should I let it go? Yes. Could I let it go? When now? Repeating it. Now, when you have a thought, you are actually creating something called a neuropeptide. The neuropeptide travels through your body and it actually attaches to your cellular structure. And then what happens is, so you're creating a belief and then your belief is actually creating cells in your body. So when you think about pain all the time or you think about anger all the time and you're in rage or resentment, that's what you're actually training your cells in your body. And then your body radiates that in, you know, out into the world. How many times have you come into contact with someone who walks in the room and you're like, whoa, that person's angry. They haven't said a word, but you can feel it. Oh, or that person has such a beautiful energy, and they're so full of love, and you can feel that. So does that make sense? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, you can. Well, I think everybody's angry these days, so you would be you're keeping probably very busy. Um, it's um, 
you can sen- you do you can sense from people even though they're maybe trying to hide it. It it doesn't stay hidden too well. At least, you know, physically. That's really cool. Thank you, Dave, for that question. That was very interesting. Um I I answered it in, you know, well enough for him. Um, you know, there there's some more I, I don't really go into the science of things, although I will read up on it and I have an understanding of it. But um if he wants to do more on that, I think Dr. Joe Dispenza would be a great resource for him. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I know I've, when going through the book, you have a lot of uh, several people responding, uh, giving, um, um, I don't know what, commentaries on your book. And I just wanted to read one, which I thought was pretty powerful, and it's from Christiana Northrup, who's an MD. She's a pioneer and leading authority in the field of women's health and wellness. Um, and that means mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Um, and she talks about women, uh, about how to thrive at every stage of life. And she said about your book, in every belief is a lie, is a beautifully laid out series of truths about who we really are as humans and what we are capable of achieving. Once we are able to see the truth shining through the lies of our conditioning and our legacies, a whole new worth of possibilities and grandeur opens up. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask is, I mean, it's wonderful what she said, and I don't know if this, by saying this right, how long does it last? Do you have to keep doing exercises or keep reminding yourself? Because I'm wondering how long it takes for you to slip back into something you've been doing your whole life. Well, that's a really great question because when you think about addiction or habits, right, they're yep. habits. So when someone goes to stop drinking or stop smoking or, or you know, any of those what we call habits or addictions, it takes time to change those behaviors. Part of it is desire. Huge part of it is desire. How badly do you want to make those changes? What do you want? Because one of the things that I always say is I don't sprinkle fairy dust on people and then they suddenly change. I had someone come to me for for weight loss and um, her husband was very controlling and um, she she her, he put a lock on the refrigerator, a lock on the the pantry, and so she started hiding food around the house because she was you know rebelling against him and. She came to me and she started to lose the weight and she lost about 10 pounds and then all of a sudden she disappeared and she stopped coming. And I finally got hold of her and I said, you know, please tell me what's going on. And she said, what if I lose the weight? Oh, because he had told her. She came to me because he told her he didn't find her attractive anymore. So then she said to me, what if I lose the weight and and he doesn't find me attractive anymore? And he still doesn't find me attractive. And so she, if, if she was more willing to sit in the pain of what she knew than losing the weight, becoming more attractive, and him still rejecting her, and the idea that maybe there would be someone else out there who could love her in a way that she had never felt before. You know, sometimes when you make these changes, you have to make big changes in your life, and you have to be willing to make those changes. I'm not saying in every case, but... You know, if you're in a situation in a marriage or if you're in a situation with someone, um, you know, in, in a habit and they're around people who have that same habit, 
sometimes you have to leave those friends. Sometimes you have to leave those circumstances. So how committed are you to that change? So, so when you're making these, these changes and habits, know that I'm not a one-hit wonder. Now, are there people who have had significant changes after one session? Yes. But I will say that you want to address it in different levels. So one thing I do is something called timeline where we go back through your life to all the negative events that happened that reinforce those belief systems um, that you created in your life, those lies, and release them and replace them with what you wish you could have had instead. Then there's another thing that I do where I work with people uh, talking to the part. Like I talked about people who want need to lose, you know, want to lose weight. And there's this part of them that is the younger part that's, that's running that. Uh, so there's all these different techniques that I have. So I try and get to the root cause as much of the root as I can. And then it's up to the individual to make those changes. What are the changes you want to make in your life? How do you want to see your world? So when you think about what you want in the world, what you want to create, you've now created a timeline, okay? That now exists. It's up to you now to take the steps to get to that end goal. Now, how many people give up and walk away? A lot of people do because they don't believe it's attainable. But when you believe in something really strongly, you almost always get it. Unless, and and here's where the spirituality comes in, sometimes God has a bigger plan for you, and, and you have to surrender to that and be open to other possibilities than what you think is the solution. And that's a whole other conversation. And something that I struggle with oftentimes is how do you know when it's time to shift into that 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 something else is meant, something else is out there for you, and then then what you believe is what's best for you. Very interesting. Taking it all in, Lisa. Um, yeah. I was looking. I just pulled up um, uh, your book on um, Kindle. And it's got a. I'm very big on looking at the covers of books because I think that's a reflection of the author and what's inside the book. And your um, cover page uh, is. It's got obviously the title of the book, but it's got a woman who is um, sort of behind. I'm thinking she's sort of leaning against a um, um, a, a, gl- a glass that's um, textured or colored, whatever. And she's got what you can see very clearly is her fingers crossed. What did that, what, what did that mean to you? And you've got uh, on the top of the book it says a guide to exposing when uh, controls of what controls your life and claiming your undisputed truth. What, well, first of all, the woman is me. And oh, you're, you, oh, nice. you know, my, my dear friend, Barry Fisher, who's a Barry Fisher photo, um, one of the top photographers, yep. I, I think, ever. Um, she has a gallery in Waitsfield, Vermont. Um, I had gone to her and I had a vision of what I wanted the cover to be. And I told her and I, she said, show up in white. And I showed up in her office. She took a, a um, window shear and she put me behind it, and she cut a hole 
in the window shear and had me stick my hand through it. And what the cross fingers mean, I don't know how many of you remember this as a child. When you told a lie and you crossed <laughs> your fingers, it meant the lie didn't count. Exactly. And so um, that, and you know what, that was the one thing I forgot to explain in the book. Uh, so that's what it is. And when you see the cover, you see the word belief with the word lie, which is right. embedded inside the book. That's great. I'm having Barry on the show. Uh, we're trying to come up with a date because she's uh, so busy. But when I walked into her studio, there was a feeling of total comfort and relaxation and I don't know if you felt feel that when because we were laughing so much when we were over there, but I as she's coming on the show and uh, particularly talking about the work she does with dogs, um, but very interesting woman. Yeah, she's extraordinary, and and what I will tell you of being a dear friend of hers, we'll go on walks together and we'll both have our our phones with us to, and take photos along the way, and I'll be standing next to her. And the two of us will be taking photos, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> how did you and I take the same photo, but there's oh, no that's nothing? Well. She there sees, the world. She sees the world through this place of love. It's very soulful, and it, impact, and it, it so reflects in her photos. That's and true. it is a very calming, peaceful um, way. So so anyway, I've just, I've just done, done a little... Uh, uh, plug for her, but um, I will tell you that when she took that photo of me and um, when I had given her my my vision, she took it to a whole new level that I never right. imagined, and I literally cried um, because I was so grateful for the work she did for me. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fabulous cover given what the book is and given who you are. Um, good, good, to, good for Barry. That's great. I'm, I'm eager to have a discussion with her. I think that's cool. Now, the question is, because is this a book for men, for women and men? Do I mean, we had Barry Cole, which I was very impressed with. Um, and are men a big uh, reader of this book? Because I'm sure they do the same thing we do. But I don't know what ma- being macho means. It means burying that stuff deeper. Well, here's the thing that I always say about men, and and I actually I, I always find that women tend to seek help much more often than men do. And I do have a majority of women in my practice, but I will tell you that I was really writing for men and I do my coaching intentionally gearing to men because how many men are programmed? Big boys don't cry. It's a, it's weak to be vulnerable. And I will tell you, if you listen to, um, Oh, my God, Brene Brown, who talks about vulnerability. Vulnerability is one of the most courageous things you could do is to be vulnerable. And the SEAL teams train in vulnerability. And when you stuff those feelings down and don't have a place to process them, what you're doing is actually creating dis-ease in your body because it has to go somewhere. So when you stuff down the feelings and don't deal with it, there's a, there's a book that I use called Your Body Speaks Your Mind by Deb Shapiro, and the whole book is filled with emotional issues that manifest into physical ailments. And an example of that was I had, gone, I had gotten a call from a dear friend from high school, uh, her sister, 
who said, um, you know, this friend of mine who was one of my best friends in high school had passed. And they asked if I would um, do one of the eulogies, if I would get up and speak. And I was devastated. And I got down there and found out a lot of things about her that I didn't know that she had kept hidden. And instead of dealing with them, I just stuffed them down. And I put together the eulogy and talked about memories. And on my flight back, um, the gentleman who was sitting next to me, he said, oh, my God, are you okay? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, your eye is bright red. One of your eyes, you couldn't even see the white of my eye. It was bright, bright red. And I looked it up in the book, um, Your Body Speaks Your Mind, and and the definition of that was, what is it you don't want to see? What is it you don't want to feel or know? And so I had to sit with the fact that I felt so much guilt that I could have helped her and I was and I didn't know and it had been too long since I had connected with her and all these feelings of guilt and shame that I had really um, and and grief and sadness that I had suppressed. We left off talking about men and speaking of belief is a lie, they are brought up to shove it all down and to be macho. Um and this book might help them to stop doing that. Well, and here's the other thing. They're less inclined to go to someone who's considered a psychologist or, and I'm making a broad stroke overview. So for those of you who are seeking help as men, I, I don't want anyone to be offended, but I'm just saying in my own personal experience, um, that they'll tend to go more towards a coach um, because there's a different um, persona around coaching versus therapy. And and what I will tell you is in the work that I do is that it's about empowerment. I, I like to get to the root cause of why someone believes what they do and release it. I don't want to dwell on it. If, if, you know, one of the things that I hear people say is, oh, you know, I've been going for help for therapy for, you know, 20 years. And, and I've gone for therapy, too. But there, there's a point where you're saying, you know, if I'm still talking about this 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years from now, am I really getting to the root cause? Now, there's really great things that are coping mechanisms that, that are given that are really important. But, you know, for me in the work that I do, I like to get to the root cause, help people shift and change their lives quickly. And that's what I love about what I do because... I spent so much time in pain going from therapist to therapist and going to, you know, all these programs and teachers and, and no one was really helping me get to the why I was doing what I do and what I was thinking. And, and something we didn't touch on is that we can actually inherit beliefs. So we can inherit through the science of epigenetics. It's explained. They did studies on mice where they shock them every time they smell the chemical smell. And those mice then, um, when they, they would, um, they put their grand pups were exposed to that chemical smell and they ran without being shocked. We as humans have those same reactions. So if you had a grandparent or great grandparent that experienced depression or scarcity or something, you can be, you can carry that belief unconsciously and it's not yours. So that's another lie that I cover in the book that people don't even understand. So you can go to all the therapy you want and never ever uncover that belief system and that that's running you. 
is that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree comment? Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. So so we get programmed unconsciously and through, you know, our parents and grandparents' beliefs around scarcity. And th- th- that's a big money one. Um, there's some saying about it's easier, something about threading through the, it's easier to get into it, to the heaven through a cat than a camel. Uh, through the eye of a needle. I don't know if you know that saying. But yeah, no, I, I know think, them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I'm like, you know, that gets get put into people so they think that all people with money are evil. And there's a lot of people with money who are great philanthropists. For sure. But we've been programmed to believe that. And so, therefore, when people are trying to make money, they undermine themselves because they think, if if people with money are evil, why would you want to attract that? Huh. Interesting. Well, the philanthropy, we have a lot of very generous people in Vermont, um, so we know that that's not necessarily true all the time. Um, that's exactly. Lisa, I had asked you to maybe read something, but we're at uh, 9.57. I would just encourage people, how do they reach you if, well, if they want to buy the book, it's is it out in stores or just in Amazon? How does that work on, on Amazon? There are a couple copies in Waitsfield at the collection um, yep. if you want to buy it in person. Um, people also can contact me directly if they don't want it. There are people who feel strongly about Amazon that, that don't want to support Amazon, so I can mail people copies. It's just I have to cover the cost of shipping. Um, they can, or they can go on Amazon to "In Every Belief Is a Lie," Lisa Shermerhorn, and uh, you can reach me through my website at lisashermerhorncoaching.com. I also have another website, um, cnlpcoaching.com, which is Center for Next Level Performance Coaching. Something we didn't cover that I help people discover their why, and I do people's why in business and personal why. Nice. Oh, that is worth checking out. And I read the book, but I I did read it quickly because I wanted to get ready for the show. I would enc- I'm going back to read it a little slower next time, and I would encourage you all to get the book. It's it's not threatening. It it's there to help you and. Um, I'm going to read it again and report back. How's that? Lisa, thank you so much for coming on board. I, I, I had to go to Kindle because the book you gave me and signed is still in our mutual friend's car, so I have to get it when I get back to Vermont. <laughs> it's, what, it's what happens, you know, when you're busy gabbing and saying goodbye. Anyway, thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate your coming on. Uh, for those listeners, I just wanted to remind you that the governor is going to be doing an update on the disaster at 11 today, as he has been doing. Um, so you can check it out on um, um, through Radio Vermont Group for, with the governor's um, website. And uh, stay tuned because I've got the SBA and FEMA coming on board to talk to you about what you should be doing if you're impacted by this flood. See you. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? 
Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Uh, joining me are two very important guests. So if you have a paper and pen handy, go get it, because um, I have a, a gentleman, Jim Akursa. Oh, Jim, you know, we talked, and I never asked you to pronounce your last name. Did you do that for me? Jim, Sorry, I don't like to mess a, it up. Akurso, Pat. Akurso. And I tell everybody, if they get all the consonants right, they're good. There you go, Akurso. Thank you. And uh, Jim is the public affairs specialist um, with the Office of Disaster Recovery and Resilience for the um, SBA, the U.S. Small Business Administration. And I, um, uh, Brianna Fenton is the FEMA media relations person. Both are here in Vermont. And we're going to be talking about the grants and loans and other services that both these organizations provide for you. So um, if you want to call into the studio, the number is 244-1777. So welcome and uh, to both of you. Brianna, I can't thank you enough for um, a last-minute invite, and here you are. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is great. We have a wide audience, and I'm, I'm sure they're scrambling to get paper and pen because this is important stuff. Jim, let's start with you. Can you tell us about yourself and the SBA? Um, and yeah. uh, then we'll turn to Brianna. Yeah, I sure can, Pat. Yeah, so the, so the Small Business Administration Office of Disaster Recovery and Resilience, we are here in Vermont as a result of a recent uh, presidential disaster declaration that was declared <clears throat> following the, um, the flooding of July 7th and afterwards, so the floods, landslides, and mudslides. And we come in to presidential uh, disaster declarations along with FEMA and reach out to folks and provide, we provide uh, uh, long-term low interest loans that dovetail with the grants that FEMA provides. Uh, that's great. I honestly didn't understand that when I was doing my research. Um, and so it's good to know which bucket goes with, uh, with what organization because there's such a need out there. It's, and one other point I want to stress too, in, in, in a, along with that, we help homeowners and renters, as well as businesses and nonprofits. So right. I want to make that clear from the get go. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about our housing problem here in Vermont too. Great timing, this poll is. Uh, Brianna, could you talk a little bit about yourself and your work at FEMA? Yes, so I'm a FEMA spokesperson, and um, FEMA is here to help assist Vermont survivors and kickstart the recovery through our various programs that we have offered for eligible um, survivors. That's great. Thank you. Um, sadly, I have been through uh, more than one disaster when I worked for state government, so I um, got to know the FEMA people pretty pretty well. Um, you, got, you guys must be used to setting up because you were here. Where where are you located? Um, that's one thing I did want to ask. And Jim, where have you set up shop? So uh, I I have set up shop. I'm in Colchester, so right outside of uh, right outside of Burlington. And wow. what I I um, hit the ground with with some of my fellow public affairs specialists, and then we divide the disaster up. By county, so I'm I'm actually responsible for uh, three counties, 
Um, I'm at uh, Chittenden, uh, Lamoille, and and Addison for myself. But we are covering all of the all of the counties in the in in the disaster declaration. And um, in case you know your your listeners don't know, um, those are Caledonia, Chittenden, Lamoille, Orleans, or Orange, Rutland, Washington, Wyndham, and Windsor. Those are declared counties, and that's where all of the programs are offered. And then we also have what are called contiguous counties. And in Vermont, those are Addison, Bennington, Franklin, and Grand Isle. Um, Massachusetts, uh, Franklin County, and in New Hampshire, Cheshire, Grafton, and Sullivan, and then also in New York, Clinton, Essex, and Washington. And what I want to clarify is that those contiguous counties, if they are, if they border the declared counties, is where the economic injury loans are offered. And I'll, I can make that clear later. But there are a number of counties that are part of the presidential declaration that we are here helping Vermonters uh, recover and get back on their feet from this from this tragic, tragic uh, flooding. So were all of these counties situation. impacted by this flood? I, I didn't realize it was that far reaching. Uh, all of the ones that were uh, declared on some level, they were. And um, early on, what what's done are preliminary damage assessments from FEMA and from the SBA. So we go out and and do damage assessments, right. and then that's where the the declared counties um, are are specified versus the contiguous counties. Interesting, Brianna is uh, is FEMA set up sort of in the same way, or is it uh, different? So on the FEMA side, um, we have staff from all over that travel to Vermont to help assist um, Vermont survivors with the recovery process. Um, I'm currently located in Burlington, and um, we have staff out in the field. Um, so renters or homeowners in Chittenden, Caledonia, Orleans, Orange, Lamoille, Rutland, Washington, Wyndham, and Windsor County, whose primary residence was affected by the flooding that began on July 7th, may be eligible for FEMA disaster assistance. Um, we have disaster survivor assistance teams out in the field in those counties that I just mentioned, and um, they're going door to door and helping to assist survivors um, with the recovery and helping them register as well. Um, one thing to note is that FEMA representatives or personnel will always have um, an identification badge with them, um, with their photograph. And so that's just something to be aware of. Right. No, that's a very good point because I have my own story of being scammed recently and I had to change oh, no. every, every account at the credit union, every account we had had to be changed. What a nightmare. Wow. I caught it early enough so nothing got taken, but it wouldn't have taken much for those folks to just take our money. So that's a good point to let people know who really are representing FEMA and SBA. Um, verify first, folks. That's exactly. Yeah. 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 So how many people are with you here, Brianna, from FEMA? I do not have that number, but there are many, many of us here. Right. Yeah, because this this is the whole state. This is um, it's really amazing. I hear the governor took a tour yesterday 
um, was in Barry City, and um, Jim mentioned mud. I have never, of all of the disasters we've had here, um, Tropical Storm Irene and, and the flooding uh, 1992, I never saw mud. That's, it gives a whole new different uh, definition to mud bogging. Unbelievable. Um, just unbelievable. But anyway, I found a very interesting um, brand I, on the Internet. It was an article entitled, A Guide to FEMA Aid Process for Flooded Vermont Homes. And it, it asked uh, one, two, three, four, about 10 questions, which people would normally be asking, and gives you the answer specific to Vermont. So we're, you're not looking up uh, U.S. information. This is stri strictly to Vermont. And um, I don't know if there's um, things you'd like to talk about on that list or just refer people because it's a very comprehensive list. list. And again, it's called a guide to the FEMA aid process for flooded Vermont homes. Um, and who I, I asked is going to ask this a little later on. Excuse me. Hold on. <coughs> Sorry. Um, who takes care of uh, buying homes out from people who have been just wiped out. We have several homes I know that um, might qualify for that assistance. Is that SBA or FEMA or some other entity? Um, with the buyout, mm -hmm. that is um, the buyout um, that is managed by the state. And, oh, um, oh, interesting. So FEMA, oh, so yeah, so FEMA understands um, the which uh, the demolition demolish uh, projects, protect against future flooding events. And right. um, FEMA does not acquire properties directly from property owners. The Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, which is managed by the state of Vermont, will wow. address um, the buyout matters. Okay, great. Well, they sort of know if the they state. they reach that um, point. Better. Yeah, we had um, one of the floods um, in, in Berlin where I live on Route 12. Oh, my word. There were so many houses on that road that just weren't there anymore. I can't imagine that. Thank you. Knock on wood, and Jim, you probably see, both of you see this talking to people. The emotions, and I know people always say, "Thank goodness some, nobody died," and I I get that. In this particular flood, we had one individual die, um, a very a very freakish accident. They were calling it, but I cannot imagine spending your whole life saving up money and all the stuff you have inside. You know, when they ask you that question, if if you're in a fire, what are you going to take with you? And I'm like, everything mm -hmm. that's on my walls, that's what I want. Um, what, what, how do you help people? I mean, I, if physically helping them would be, would be wonderful to get them back on their feet. But there's also this emotional component, which uh, must be devastating. Well, and, and Pat, we're very, you know, we're very aware of that, that, you know, um, folks, folks want to get their situation stabilized first before they're going right. to come in and talk about a loan. Right. Uh, you know, and, and see how we can help them. And, you know, and, and so there is a, a two month application window where they can apply for the physical damage loans. So they have until um, they have until July, excuse me, they have until um, September 12th to okay. apply for the physical damage loans that we, the business uh, physical disaster loans and the home disaster loans for homeowners and renters. Um, so they can come in, uh, you know, to one of our centers and we have, we have three, uh, business recovery centers that we are operating here in, uh, Vermont as, and we're also on site at the disaster recovery centers 
that uh, FEMA is operating. And we have those. We, in, um, we have a BRC in Lamoille County uh, in Morrisville. We have one in Washington County uh, in Berlin. And we have one in Windsor County, uh, excuse me, Windsor County in Ludlow. And we also have one in Rutland County in Rutland. Those are our business recovery centers. And then we are on site at the disaster recovery centers that um, FEMA's operating. And I know there's one in Washington County and Waterbury and um, um, the other Plainfield one. Plainfield um, and Barry. Oh, nice. Barry. Thank so, there's you, two, so they have two more. Okay, right. Yeah. And okay, then so we, we have are, yeah. a, and we are in site, a disaster we are recovery on center, Rutland yeah. and London Dairy as well. That's great. Well, you've, you've covered the state. That's good that people would be able to. I was worried about that, how people, because a lot of people have lost their cars in this um, disaster as well. Um, can you tell me, uh, let's talk, uh, whoever wants to answer the story about either the grant or the loan, wh what's bothering me is people just don't have documentation. Um, so let's talk about applying for a grant, because I, I think people would probably, if they qualify, probably want to get a grant rather than the loan, even though it's low interest. So how, what do they need and, and how long does it take? Um, there are lots of questions. What's the amount? What is that amount dependent on? What is it based on? So whoever wants to take the grant first. Um, yeah, uh, that, that would be me. Um, okay. So I'm going to say it again, but renters are homeowners in the designated counties um, whose primary residence was affected by the flooding that began on July 7th may be eligible for FEMA disaster assistance. Disaster assistance may be able to help financially with home repairs, temporary lodging, damaged wells or septic tanks or HVAC systems, and other serious disaster-related needs, which can include replacement or repair of vehicles, medical or dental expenses. It could also include damaged appliances like your refrigerator or your toilet, or it could also be your school supplies or cleanup efforts. Um, each case is different and it depends on the individual household and the damages that they sustained. So the ways to apply for FEMA disaster assistance is online at disasterassistance.gov. They can also download the FEMA app and register on their smartphone or tablet. They can call FEMA's helpline, which is 800-621-3362. Or they can visit a disaster recovery center where FEMA representatives are on site and available to help assist survivors with their application, the registration process, and answer questions that the survivor may have. These disaster recovery centers are open from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., seven days a week at this moment. And right now we have five disaster recovery centers. So after you register, Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. I just I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I didn't know about the medical component. That's very interesting and obviously needed. Yes, definitely. Um, so after registering with FEMA, you can expect an inspector to get in contact with you to set up an appointment so that they can meet the survivor at the address where the damage was reported, and the inspector will inspect and assess the damages as it is one of the criteria used by FEMA to determine eligibility for assistance. Again, I'm going to say it multiple times probably today, but an inspector will never show up without an appointment. The inspector will always have an identification badge with a photo ID, 
and there is no charge for inspection or for any other FEMA service. So that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, so after the inspection process, survivors will receive a letter or email from FEMA. And it's important that survivors carefully read the letter as it may explain your application status, how to respond. It may include the amount of assistance provided and information on how to use the appropriate, um, how to use the funds appropriately. And um, that's, that's basically the process um, with registering for FEMA assistance and what you can expect afterwards. That's good. You mentioned um, a letter from FEMA, and on that list I was talking about about this guide, one of the, the dots was, what if I get a letter saying I'm ineligible for assistance? Um, obviously, there is criteria that make you or, ma or make you not eligible. Um, is there recourse if you get a letter of ineligibility? So if anyone is determined to be ineligible, it does not mean they are denied. It is important, as I was saying earlier, that the survivor carefully reads the letter. In most cases, survivors need to just send more information or supporting documentation for FEMA to continue reviewing the application. So in some cases, an applicant might just be missing documents, such as proof of insurance or proof of identity or proof of occupancy. Um, so if there's any confusion with this process, we recommend calling FEMA at the helpline at 800-621-3362 or visit the nearest disaster recovery center. If an applicant disagrees with FEMA's decision, the applicant has an opportunity to appeal. They have 60 days from receiving the determination letter to submit an appeal. And with these appeals, they have to um, provide a reason why and documents supporting their case, um, such as a contractor's estimate or um, something along those lines. And so it's important that the applicant includes in their appeal their name, disaster number, address of damaged home, current phone number and address, and their application number. And the applicants can appeal and upload their letters to disasterassistance.gov or mail it to the FEMA National Processing Center. That's great. And we, um, we're having a problem here in Vermont um, with the mail. Um, so mm -hmm. I hope people are, are um, keeping up to speed on that where where and what kinds of mail is, is being distributed um, because it might be hard to get information to these people these days from what I'm reading. I don't yes. know it specifically yes. enough. Do you, uh, Brianna, know what's happening with the mail? So if um, I don't know exactly what's happening with the mail, but if the survivor has not heard back from FEMA, we recommend that they keep in touch with FEMA. Um, by calling the 800-621-3362 number or visiting a disaster recovery center nearest to them. Um, it's just important to keep in touch um, so that we can make sure that their application is moving forward. That's great. That's great. Okay, Jim, do you want to talk about how to get loans and what they are and what does low cost mean? Yeah, yeah, sure, Pat. So, so when, when they do go into the uh, disaster recovery center and they do meet with FEMA, they will then be referred to the SBA. So as Brittany pointed out, you know, what FEMA will provide uh, the coverage for uh, is, you know, is limited to those categories. And then 
they are referred, uh, applicants are referred to apply for a long-term, up to 30 years, uh, low interest, 4% and less for businesses and nonprofits and homeowners, a loan that they can apply for. Uh, there's no fee to apply and there's no obligation to take the loan if they do apply. Um, we, in, and again, as I mentioned, we help uh, uh, businesses for their physical damage up to, uh, we provide up to $2 million and that's for inventory of, of, of property, uh, real estate and the like. Uh, we do help uh, homeowners for up to $200,000 for real estate and, uh, and, and personal property, and, uh, including uh, automobiles, and then renters up to $40,000 for contents of their home. Um, and, and, and that also includes automobiles. Uh, so we help those three groups with the loans that we offer. We encourage them to complete the application process. Like I mentioned, there's no obligation because if they don't, they uh, uh, keep themselves from not being able to uh, take on, um, get additional needs assistance from FEMA. So the process is when they're referred, they do have to apply for us. If in fact they're found ineligible to then go back to FEMA. Uh, if they're found eligible, uh, and with and they and they turn in all of their necessary paperwork when they do meet with us, um, and that and that that information what what they're required to bring and what they need when they do come in and and uh, and talk to uh, one of our customer service reps. Um, that information includes. I got that right here. Give me a second. Um, okay. Too many documents. I'm sorry. Too many documents. Yeah. No. They so so they need to bring in, you know, with their application contact information. They got to have their social. They need to have their FEMA registration number, any uh, deed or lease information, insurance information, financial information, profit and loss statements, and the like, uh, account balances, and then an employee identification number, an EIN for business applicants. And this will all be explained to them when they sit down and fill out their application. Uh, um, at the Business Recovery Center. Uh, and along the lines uh, of what FEMA does, is folks can also apply online at disasterloanassistance.sba.gov. We do have a phone option. However, our phone option is when you call our 800 number, you'll get a paper application and that'll be mailed to you. So maybe uh, in light of what we just talked about with the issues with the mail, mail maybe that might not be a good option. Yeah. Jim, I know... You are going around, uh, we talked about this too, as many radio stations as you can to chambers of commerce and um, mm -hmm. select boards and, and whoever else uh, around Vermont just to get this information out, correct? Yeah, yeah. so, so my, my colleagues and I do go out, we reach, to reach out to a number of different stakeholders across the state you know, to get the information out that we are here and providing the loans. I think... Um, you know, not unlike a lot of, you know, government programs, folks don't know that we do offer these disaster loans. And like I had mentioned, we are offering them uh, in this presidentially uh, declared disaster to homeowners and renters. So we encourage them, anybody who's, uh, you know, on the fence, anybody who's been referred by FEMA um, and, you know, they're not they're not sure if they're eligible, uh, you know, if, if you know, if if they could, in fact, uh, be a 
rewarded alone. We encourage them to come in and talk to one of our customer service reps so they can take the application. Um, you know, their, their PII is going to be protected. They're going to sit down with a, with a customer rep, you know, uh, key their information in through uh, login.gov, which is a secure system. And uh, once they get their information in, the application is made. It can take up to maybe three weeks uh, before they're going to uh, get their first payout after talking with a loan officer. The loan officer will then tell them, uh, you know, the terms of the loan, uh, the amount they'll get. Um, and then once the loan document is signed, they could get a payout of up to $25,000 within, within three to five days after that. Great. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I think um, a lot of people don't have the documents that they need. They don't have uh, chargers for their phones. Then um, uh, there's some of them have nothing, and perhaps they're staying in a shelter. Um, are you having? Uh, are you able to help them with any of these details, or where do they need to go? Like um, a lot of us live from paycheck to paycheck, and so if we're not working and don't get a paycheck. Um, we need some help with food and, and rent and whatever else. Is there is there a more immediate turnaround uh, help for these folks? Do you know? Maybe you don't know. Um, Brianna, maybe you can answer that. But, but yeah. I know when at disasters we were in in Kentucky at the disaster recovery center, there are a number of other agencies that are there to help folks. Right, like Correct. the Red Cross. So, um, go ahead, Brianna. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like Jim was saying, um, we have five disaster recovery centers, and um, at some of the disaster recovery centers, we have other resources available there. Um, for instance, the one in Barrie has um, USDA, it has um, DUA for unemployment. Um, they also have SBA. They have Red Cross. And so the disaster recovery centers are a really great resource for survivors to get that one-on-one um, -on -one help, face-to-face -face, um, help so that they could learn about the recovery process, what other disaster recovery resources are available to them. And um, FEMA, along with SBA and other local partners and the state, um, we're all working together to help make sure that um, Vermont survivors know what's available to them, know what assess assistance is available to them. And um, just like Jim, or, and just like I was saying before, um, we do have disaster survivor assistant crew members that are going door to door in affected communities, canvassing neighborhoods, and helping residents apply for FEMA disaster assistance. Some crew members are visiting schools, nonprofits, and communities with limited access, and they're also meeting with local officials and community leaders to help identify disaster-related issues and unmet needs. And so everyone, disaster recovery is a whole community effort, and Great. everyone is working closely together with the state, local partners, SBA, FEMA. We're all coming together, working hard um, to help meet the survivors' unmet needs and help get them back on their feet again. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you, actually, for your service and, and all the help you're providing. I know I was at a friend's house um, the Sunday after all of this occurred, and we were trying to get the mud out of her basement, and the Red Cross came by, and they had these huge boxes of um, supplies uh, and things that people would need um, to help clean up. And I thought that was great. And the one guy we talked to, I think he came from Denver. 
I mean, just like both of you, we're coming from all different places around the United States, and uh, we're certainly all very grateful and and for all the people that are volunteering. Um, but my big question is about housing. Are we able to accommodate all the people that need temporary housing at the very least? Um, I know the trailer park on Route uh, 302 in my town in Berlin is completely the, the the owner is not, this is about his third or fourth disaster, and I think he's, from what I hear, he's had it, so he's closing the park. And there's about 30 or 40 families that are impacted. Um, it, it, when it's not flooded, it's a beautiful, beautiful, well-kept uh, park, but it's right smack on the, right next to the river, so um, it got um, flooded out again. What's happening mm -hmm. with people that need housing? So um, FEMA may... So uh, FEMA may be able to provide uh, rental assistance for temporary housing needs, housing assistance um, for those that need to get repairs on their homes where they can't live in their homes because they're not habitable. Um, right. FEMA also has reimbursement for temporary eligible hotel stays while displaced. Um, these are just some of the things that FEMA has um, for those that are eligible for um, assistance. Um, Shelters are operated under the direction of state and local authorities, and usually they're managed by volunteer partners. And um, so that's one thing to mention. And then um, some other resources in the community would be um, the community organizations active in disasters. Um, we have VOAD, um, nonprofit and faith-based community-based partners that um, are usually present in the community. So it just varies on um, varies on locations and communities that are out there. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of churches that are um, extending hands uh, to help. Um, I know Montpelier Live, I have Katie Trouts coming on the show on Thursday, and the acting town administrator for Berlin and a, a volunteer for the town that's coming in actually hopefully to talk about the mobile home uh, crisis there. And, um, I mean, we had a crisis of housing before this all started. And uh, this is only going to make it twice as, as bad. It's just a, an amazing event. Um, does, does HUD, that's housing, does HUD come in at all? Um, I don't know if there would be any reason for them to be here. I just know HUD is the housing uh, arm of the feds. Uh, I, I do um, know I, that um, uh, after the fact, so, you know, uh, you know, you know, yeah, FEMA will come in and they'll, and they'll help out with the disaster, you know, for for the, for the length of the uh, declared disaster right. time frame, Pat, and, and you know that could there could be extensions to that, but after the fact, uh, SBA does work with our other partners to uh, to make sure that the you know the community is stabilized, that folks can get back up and running. You know, with our, our economic injury disaster loans, uh, we refer them over to the local uh, the SBA uh, state and district offices. You know, and and a number of our other partners, because we are committed, you know, for the long haul to help folks, you know, long after the disaster to help them get back up on their feet. You know, there could be additions uh, to the loan amount if, you know, if they if they if they're properly documented, there could be amendments to where they could get additional funds. We all do offer mitigation funds as well on top of the disaster loan amount. So say if uh, measures were put in place to avoid a similar occurrence with a with a subsequent disaster, we could help out to uh, to the uh, and that amount has changed, but we can help out with mitigation funds as well. So 
SBA is committed to the long haul, uh, and and one of those partners I do know uh, is is HUD. Oh, okay. Yeah, just uh, because I, I I know it's there on housing. The our legislator legislature worked on a huge housing bill this year um, because mm-hmm. we were in such dire need. People they were having trouble having people move into the state because they can't find adequate housing um, for them and their families. Um, so that's that's been a real problem for us. Can I ask you? I don't know how to answer this question. When do you know when you're done? When you go back to wherever home is, and and uh, you've done all that you can do for people, and they're back on their feet. It's, how, who um, is that from the feds to say the disaster is over? How does that happen? When is when is the end? The end. Um, um, well, Rick- Recovery is a marathon, not a sprint, and it is a long haul, but um, FEMA, along with SBA, we're here to meet the needs um, of the community, and we are here for the long haul, and we're here to help survivors every step of the way. That's great. Does that mean a year or so? Because um, this sounds like it's a long process. Um, it just depends on the type of disaster, and each disaster is different and unique. And so I don't have right. an exact timeline for you. Mm-hmm. I, I do know, Pat, that we are here at the request of the state. So, you know, if, if in fact we're continuing to see business at our business recovery center, you know, we, we could go beyond those, those uh, you know, that, that two-month window to keep the, the business recovery right. center open. and. That often happens, and you know, and it it is unique from disaster to disaster. So, you know, if uh, um, there's a need and there's a request, and we can meet that request, we will do our best, you know, to you know to to, to staff the business recovery center, and, and so folks can come in. Um, one point I didn't make is that is that the loans that we do offer are uh, um, above and beyond what folks may get from insurance or other sources. So. We encourage uh, we encourage them to come in and apply as soon as possible. Don't wait for insurance, you know, to, to come through. Right. If you have talked to your insurance agent, that's that's fine. Your insurance representative, but but don't wait for that. But the funds that we do uh, provide are are uh, in addition to what folks may get from other sources, including insurance. Exactly, and I'm gonna. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brianna. I was just gonna piggyback on. Uh, Jim and say exactly um, first file a claim if you have insurance because FEMA doesn't duplicate benefits and uh, FEMA may also be able to help cover costs that your insurance doesn't cover but if you don't have insurance that is okay FEMA is there for the underinsured and uninsured. Yeah a lot of people didn't get flood insurance because of the cost and um, I wonder what's going to happen after we get back on our feet this is they're going to be getting a flood insurance because this it's it's pretty much the same areas all the time that get hit. And I know there's a discussion going on now in the state about what to do in those areas to mitigate this um, ever happening again. Um, have you been dealing with our farmers? Um, I had the Secretary of Agriculture on about a week or so ago, and he was saying how badly that, that the farmers have really gotten hit up in Memorial County and and uh, pretty much all over the state, but primarily up in the Northeast Kingdom. Um, what do you do for farmers um, when they're faced with this kind of disaster? 
Well, uh, Vermont farmers are not eligible for disaster assistance for their farm business uh, oh. from us, but there, any of their non, uh, they may qualify for their non-farm activities. So, say if they run a run a run a, a, a farm stand or or some kind of a retail operation, we could possibly help them. Oh. But I do know that the USDA has a couple of programs that they do. Uh, offer and and we encourage folks uh, you know to reach out to them um, and like uh, Brianna had mentioned they they are on site or their materials are available at the DRCs uh, the disaster recovery. Is there center. any help for farmers on their housing and and the material you know the cars and trucks and stuff or is that um, that's the ag? Um, uh, it would have to be their yeah, primary I don't know residence. the specifics of that, but I do know that they do have a couple of programs that they do okay. offer. Sorry, uh, I'm sure our ag um, department is on it. One is their, um, um, they have a, do have an emergency farm loan program, the USDA does, and they also have an emergency watershed protection program ah. that they offer. So, uh, again, encourage folks to, you know, to go to their USDA office or, you know, go online, uh, look up those two uh, programs, and they can and likely get more information on that. That's great. Thank you. Deanna, do you want to follow up with that? Anything? Um, yeah, I think what um, Jim said covered it all. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, because uh, it was it was a very sad program listening to Anson talk about what's happened to the farmers um, and the soil because that's key to farming and um, the soil is not in such great shape now. Um, so um, you know, uh, Jim and I spoke about this on the phone, and I, I years ago they used to push what we would call a go bag. I mean, they've got it in, uh, you probably have it ready because you get travel all over the place when a disaster mm -hmm. happens. You probably are ready to pick up the bag and go. And I was mm -hmm. thinking that would be a great thing for the state or some federal agency or something to to really explain to people what a go bag is and what a, what a great idea it is because you don't think about those things when, obviously, when your life is in danger. And, um, but... Um, if you can just have something next to your bed that you pick up and run and it's got change of clothing and toiletries, but it also has the documents that that you may need, depending on if there's a fire or whatever. Um, I, I don't know what started me years ago. I actually had one. And, of course, as, mm -hmm. as with people over time, you you don't do it. Um, is that is that something anybody ever talks about anymore or not? Um, so, yeah, we do encourage the um, individuals and households um, that they make a plan and that they do work on, like, a preparedness plan or have a preparedness kit. Um, so some of the things that they may want in their kit would be water, non-perishable food for a couple days, first aid kits, power banks, and important paperwork, just like you mentioned, um, right. such as a will, birth certificates, property titles, um, your insurance policy or social security card. Um, so those are just important or at least know where they are in your house um, just to have it organized. And yeah. a couple other things that um, they could also add could be like shelter materials, um, plastic sheeting or duct tape, um, things like that. But um, individuals and households, they can go um, visit ready.gov and there's more information on there for preparedness. We were just talking a little bit about the go bag, um, which was certainly popular years years and years ago. Um, and as Brianna mentioned, there's a, a list of things, and 
um, that you would want to consider things that you wouldn't even think about. Um, but it's but I bet when you running out out of your house and trying to get to safety that when you open that bag you'd feel really good about being in a very good position to you know, fill out all the forms and and do all the stuff that uh, you need to do after a disaster. And I want to mention that Governor um, Scott has been begging people pretty much to get your damage reports in. You've got to file um, with the state about what damage you've um, incurred. It helps build up a, a case for funding uh, for uh, the, uh, for FEMA and um, other entities to come up with an amount of money that, that we need. And if they don't know how much damage you've um, encountered, um, we won't be able to add that to our, uh, our request for federal dollars. So, um, And he's going to talk at 11 o'clock uh, right after this show about the status of things here in Vermont. And I've been listening every week, and it's very interesting. So um, thank you both for being on the show. I, I, we have a couple more minutes, and I was wondering if there's anything else you wanted to, to say um, to make sure people understand uh, what's going on. Um, and I'll just turn it over to Jim. And yeah. Well, one thing, yeah, Pat, thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I was pretty much referring to our physical damage loans. I want to let folks know that we do offer the economic injury disaster loans. And again, those are for those additional counties that I had talked about. Um, again, all the information is up on our, on our website, but the deadline to apply for those is not until April 15th. And those, um, for all of these loans, there's no fee to apply, no obligation to take them. But if, in fact, they are awarded now, they are interest-free and uh, they are deferred for a year interest-free. Yeah. So there's no accrued interest. So what would, um, I'm we, sure it's on the website, Jim. What information would people need where they were before this happened as far as income and where they are a year from now? Is that the right, kind of information? Right, right. And, and like, I, like I mentioned, their, their employee identification number, their um, you know profit and loss statements, anything that they can prove. And again, they can, you know, since they have until um, uh, the deadline is not until April 15th. So say in January, they look back to see that they had a loss, you know, right around the time or, or in, in the subsequent month, they can then apply for the economic injury disaster loans. Yeah. Thank you. And obviously everybody was just getting over COVID and here we mm -hmm. are. I mean, it's just how much can one family or one business take? So um, all the help that they can get is much appreciated. Rihanna, do you have anything right. you wanted to wrap up with? We've got about two, three minutes left. Yes, uh, I'm just going to say it again. But um, okay. for renters or homeowners who were affected by the flooding that began on July 7th, um, you may be eligible for FEMA assistance. And the ways to apply are online at disasterassistance.gov. You can download the FEMA app and register on your smartphone or tablet. You can call FEMA's helpline 800-621-3362 or visit a nearest disaster recovery center to you where FEMA representatives are on site and available to assist survivors with their application and registration process. The deadline for FEMA is September 12th, so make sure that you register, don't hesitate, and um, we're here to help you every step of the way. Well, I can't thank you both enough, and thank you, Brianna, for the last minute uh, agreeing to come on the show, um, especially, and to Jim, thanks for all the conversations and information. Um, 
maybe we'll meet in person when I get back to my home here. Um, it was very nice to meet you both, and thank you all and all of the folks that you've brought with us with you to uh, to help Vermonters. We are Vermont okay. strong. See you all. Thank this you so much. Pat Mc- yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Pat thank you, Pat. You're, yeah, thank you. Your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. See you Thursday. We'll have more flooding information on Berlin and on um, Montpelier Alive. 